is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. This is Pastor Rob Chambers of Reedtown Community Church in Newport, Tennessee. It is our earnest hope and prayer that something will be said or done through word or song that will be a blessing to your heart. That's Matthew 16 and 17. Let me ask you this question while you're turning. Has any of you ever heard the story of the blind men and the elephant? I know some of you have. You may not remember it. You've probably heard it used as an illustration in a sermon before. You may have read it uh, used as a, uh, a way to describe something before. It's a very, very, very familiar illustration. A bunch of blind men came across an elephant one day. And each one touched a different part of the elephant. And each one thought he was touching something different. The one that was touching the elephant's leg thought it was a tree trunk. The one that had a hold of the elephant's tail thought it was a rope. The one who was pushing against the side of the elephant thought it was a wall. The one who had the elephant's ear thought it was a big fan. The one who was touching the elephant's tusk thought it was a spear. And the one who's the elephant's truck reached down and wrapped around thought it was a giant snake. Each one of them thought it was something different. But did that change for one instance the truth that that was an elephant that they were touching? Had no bearing on the truth whatsoever. The way they perceived it and the way they imagined it in their eyes had nothing to do with what the truth really was. That's the way you and I are this morning. That's the way mankind is, always has been and will be until we leave this world. It doesn't matter what we think about a subject. What matters is the truth. And that's all that matters. Now, these blind men, they had an idea of what they were touching, but they were all what? Wrong. They were all wrong. See, in society today, we're not supposed to tell somebody they're wrong. You're not supposed to tell a student in school, well, you were wrong on that test and give them a grade for it. If you never tell somebody they're wrong, how do you ever get somebody to be right? If you're not right, then you have to be wrong. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. What's wrong is when you stay wrong you got to get right. All wrong does is teach lessons. Some of the best lessons I've ever learned in my life was when I got something wrong. It stuck. We're going to look for a few verses in 16 and 17 of Matthew. And we're going to go through the steps of Peter's sanctification. We're going to see where Peter was wrong... But we're going to see eventually Peter got right. Peter, like all of us, where did Peter start out? He started out as an unbeliever. He was lost. He was lost in sin. But one day there was a man that came down the road. One day there was a man that began to speak in a way Peter never heard anybody speak before. And the words this man said began to bounce around in Peter's mind. And one day this man looked directly at Peter and said, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Peter didn't understand exactly what that man was talking about, but there was a tug, there was a pull, there was a conviction, there was something about this man that 
thrilled Peter's heart. And Peter laid down the nets. He laid down the life that he had known since a child. And he began to follow this man. And he began to see some of the most miraculous things that human eyes have ever encountered in this world. He saw people that were possessed of the devil, freed. He saw blind men healed. He saw lame men walk. He saw deaf men hear. Peter couldn't explain exactly what it was, but Peter knew this was a man worth following. We're going to take up the text in the 13th verse of chapter 16. The 13th verse of chapter 16, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say Elias, and others Jeremiah, and one of them the prophets. Now hold your finger right there on verse 14. Who do men say that I am? He still asks the question today, Who do people say that Jesus is? You'll get all kinds of answers. From he never existed at all to he was just a good moral teacher. You'll get any number of answers. That's what they got, or that's what they gave Jesus that day. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elias, some say Jeremiah's one of the prophets. They were like the blind men and the elephant. They were all wrong. Jesus was none of those things. He was more. They were all wrong. Jesus came for that reason. To seek and to save those who are lost or wrong and make things right. He asked, Jesus asked His disciples in the 15th verse then. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Oh, there's the question. That's the tw- we ought to ask ourselves every morning when we get out of bed that question. Who do I say Jesus is? And we ought to live our day according to that answer. When we get out of bed and we say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He's the Savior and Redeemer of the world. He's my Messiah. He's my Lord and King and Master. You get out of bed every day and start the day like that. How are you going to live your life? You're going to live your life the way that book says live. We need to ask ourselves that question every morning. Who do you say that I am? If we don't ask ourselves that question every morning, I guarantee you Jesus does. Jesus asks us every day, who do you say that I am? And then the way we live our life provides the answer to Jesus, to that question. Simon Peter jumped up in verse 16 and he answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter had no doubt what Jesus was. Peter had no doubt the what of Jesus' coming. Peter didn't yet know the who. He knew the what. He knew the reason that He had come. He knew the what that Jesus was the Messiah, but he didn't know the intimate Jesus yet. He had to go a little farther. You and I here this morning, I hope and trust all of us, have professed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives. But it's not just enough to profess. It's not enough just to say, I know what Jesus, I know Jesus is the Son of God, I know Jesus is the Messiah. You've got to have a personal, intimate relationship with the Messiah. 
Bible tells us that the demons in hell believe in fear and trembling and profess Jesus as Lord. Doesn't do them a bit of good, does it? See, they don't have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. That's what we're striving for. That's what we're looking for. That's what we must have to live a Christian life and to one day march through the gates into, into heaven. I'm going to skip down to the 21st verse, same chapter. After, Jesus, or after Simon had professed that Jesus was the Son of the living God and He was the Christ, the salt Messiah of the Jewish nation. Verse 21 tells us, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. <laughs> then Peter took Him and began to rebuke Him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense to me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter had a head knowledge of Jesus. Peter had a learning about Jesus. He believed that he was the Messiah, but he didn't have heart knowledge yet. He wasn't moved beyond a shadow of a doubt in his understanding the who of Jesus. But he learned real quick, you don't rebuke the Savior. You don't rebuke the Son of the living God. You don't rebuke His Holy Spirit that we have now. When it comes, when it speaks to you, when it moves you to do something, to say something, to witness, to testify, to pray, to get up, to run, to shout, whatever it is, do it. Don't rebuke it. That's what Peter did. Peter rebuked Jesus. What the Bible says. It didn't get him very far either, did it? The Lord took his switch out to Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about, man. Be quiet if you don't understand what's going on. Keep your mouth shut. Don't you know that broke Peter's heart? Don't you know that just that took Peter's breath away when Jesus looked at him and called him Satan? Oh, that was crushing to Peter, but it was needed. It was needed. Peter needed to realize just exactly who this man was. It's time you and I today, church, Christian, we begin to understand just exactly who this man is. We're not serving some paper figurehead. We're not serving someone who's still in an empty grave somewhere. He's more. We see the Bible tells us a few days later, Jesus decides that it's time for Peter to realize who he truly is. He knows the need that Peter has and he knows the need that you and I have today. If you look at the 17th chapter in verse 1, it says, After six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. He saw the need, and he saw that it was time. They went apart into a high mountain. 
they separated themselves. They got along with Jesus. Oh my, there's, just a, there's a sermon right there. Verse 2 says, And Jesus was transfigured before them, and His face did shine as the sun, and His raiment was white as the light. In other words, this man that they had all known, that they traveled with, that they talked with, that they journeyed to and far with, they'd seen do all these miracles, this man, for a brief period of time, put off human form. He didn't completely do away with it, but he let the Shekinah glory of God shine through the flesh. If you look in John's account, or not John, but if you look in Mark's account and you look in Luke's account, Mark says that his robes, his clothes that he wore, became whiter than any fuller could make white on this planet. Some of you are wearing white today. Uh, uh, Teresa's got on a white sweater. Marion's kind of a cream color. I was going to wear a white shirt, but it was stained, so I couldn't wear it. That's not white, what Teresa's got on. That's our understanding of white, but that's not white in God's eyes. That's not white in God's eyes. The robes that Jesus wore that day when He was transfigured, Mark says they got whiter than any white that a man can make a robe. It got true white. And the Bible tells us in Revelations that white robes are for the righteousness of the saints. One of these days, you and I, if we love the Lord enough, we'll see white for the first time. We'll see the white that Peter, James, and John saw that day. Luke went on to say, he used the word that translates in, in Greek, lightning. That it was like a flash of lightning. It was blinding the radiance that came from Jesus. How many of you have ever been close to a lightning strike? How far would you say the trees in front of your house are? That one that got hit that day. 20, 30, 20 30 feet. I've been about 30 feet from a lightning strike. Looking out the front window of his house when a lightning hit the tree in front of it. For about 15 to 20 seconds, I was blind as a bat. I couldn't see a thing. Now, granted, you saw the, the, uh, the, the cartoons of the cat when the dog jumps up behind him and barks at it, and the cat jumps up and he's stuck to the ceiling. That was me. It absolutely scared me to death. It took me 30, minute, 30 seconds to a minute to just get my composure back. But I was literally blinded for a period of time by that flash of lightning. That's what Luke said happened when Jesus was transfigured. Peter, James, and John were blinded by the brilliance and the radiance that came from Jesus. In other words, they got to see who they were really dealing with. Until you and I see the transfigured Jesus, until you and I see the transfigured Christ, we have no idea who it is we're dealing with. There was a change came over Peter right here. We're going to see later on as we read the account of Peter's life that he grows closer and closer and stronger and stronger. But there's a major change right here. It moved from Peter having an idea of who Jesus was and just being able to profess it. This was proved to Peter who Jesus was. You couldn't stand there on the top of that mountain and look upon Jesus transfigured in all the radiance and glory of God and not be moved and not be convinced that this man was who he said he was. Peter, he looked. <laughs> Not only was Jesus there transfigured, but he saw Moses 
and Elijah the prophet standing beside him. And they were talking. And if you read Luke's account of this experience, they were talking about Jesus' death in Jerusalem. Now that went woo right by Peter, James, and John's head. They didn't understand that part, but they understood what their eyes showed them. They understood the glory. They knew who Moses was. They knew who Elijah was. They saw the law and the prophets standing beside Jesus. There was no doubt in their mind. Now Peter, when push come to shove, right before the crucifixion, he denied him. But it wasn't because Peter didn't know who he was. It wasn't because Peter didn't know. It's just because Peter didn't have the guts to stand up. Peter just didn't have the Holy Ghost yet. He just needed the Holy Ghost to make everything complete. You and I right now, if we're a child of God this morning, if we've been saved by the grace of God, we've got the Holy Spirit if we're living a life pleasing to God. If we don't have any sin in our life, we've got the Holy Spirit. And we should be able to see the transfigured Christ. See Jesus for who He is in all of His glory and majesty. But the trouble is we don't. For whatever reason, we don't see the transfigured Christ. Peter, as he looked and he saw these things, <laughs> when he was able to speak, he said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Well, that was an understatement, wasn't it? It's good for us to be here, Lord. If you will, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. In other words, Peter said, it's good to be here, Lord, and if you want, we'll build you a temple and we'll stay here. We won't go nowhere else. We'll stay right here. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. When the Holy Spirit moves and I get a glimpse of Jesus in his glory, I don't want to leave the house of God either. I want to make this my dwelling place. I want to be like Simeon. I want to dwell in the temple. But that's not my charge. That's not your charge. That's not what Jesus told the church. He said, go ye into all the world. Go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come into the house of God that others may know and learn and spread the gospel. You can't do that in one place. We've got to get out. We've got to move. While he yet spake, verse 5 said, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Not only did these three men see the glory of Jesus Christ in his transfiguration, the glory of God came down on top of that mountain in a cloud and covered them. Boy, there was three rough, tough fishermen right then that were curled up in a fetal position. Boy, let me tell you. They were scared out of their mind. But imagine, as terrifying as that was, oh, the glory that was present on that mountaintop. The Father and the Son, not reunited permanently yet, but their glory and their presence in one place. It's a wonder anything lived on top of that mountain. It's a wonder the power that was there didn't shake the foundations of the earth. God said, this is my son, and I am well pleased in him. Hear ye him. Until we see the transfigured Christ, we can't hear him. We can't understand him. Preacher, are you talking about getting saved? No, I'm talking about past that. You can be saved. Peter was saved when he followed Jesus and professed him. The Bible says that 
We have to profess openly. But it also says we must make Jesus Lord. Until you've seen the Shekinah glory, until you've seen Jesus transfigured, you can't put him in his proper place. Preacher, we can't see Jesus. Not with these you can't. But you can with the eye of the Spirit. You can with the help of the Holy Ghost. You can see the glory of God. You most certainly can. What determines that is how much you want to. How much you want to. We will keep reading there in verse 6. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Of course they were. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus. They saw no man save Jesus. You want to th- know what somebody's like? You want to know how somebody thinks? You want to know what the result is of seeing the transfigured Christ? You see no man but Jesus. God grant me that. I don't want to see anybody but Jesus. Not family, not loved ones, not friends. I want to see Jesus and Jesus only. I want Him to be the moving force in my life every day of my life. The reason I get out of bed in the morning, the reason I lay my head down at night so I can rest and get up the next day in service to Him. I only want to see Jesus. Preacher, do you not love your family? Of course I love my family. You love your family. But how much more do you love the Savior? Who gave you the family? How much more so should we love the one who saved our soul and will save theirs as well? My love is fierce for Jesus because He can save my children. He can save my family. He can give them a place in glory for eternity that I can't. He can protect Him here far better than I can. I can protect Him up to the moment where I take my final breath and then that's it. I can't go any farther. He's with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if His will says nothing shall happen to them, nothing will happen to them. That's why I love the Lord. That's why I only want Jesus. That's why if you have seen the transfigured Christ, you see nothing else but Jesus. You are blinded to everything else in the world. Preacher, give me another example. We done talked about Him. Saul on the road to Damascus. He saw the transfigured Christ. He was struck down right in the middle of the road, blind as a bat after that. But if you would have been able to go back and ask Saul, whose name became Paul, who did you see? He said, I saw the transfigured Christ. That's why Paul is called an apostle. Because he saw Jesus. You don't get the title of apostle unless you've seen the risen Lord. That's why we have the 11 apostles and Paul. Preacher, these people today claim to be apostles. I'm not going to comment on that, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says if you've seen the risen Christ in the flesh with human eyes, you can be an apostle. That's all I'll say on that. Have you seen the transfigured Christ? Have you seen Him in all of His glory? That's the question. That's the question. Let's be clear. 
this morning on who Jesus is. Let's just get it once and for all nailed down who Jesus is. He's not a moral good man who was a prophet or a teacher. No, he's not. He's not a myth. He's not a legend. He's an historical fact who can be proven outside of church records that the man lived and breathed. There's no doubt upon that. He is not a spare tire that we can call on when we're in trouble. That ain't going to work either. He is not some smiling, happy-go-lucky beatnik who walks around with peace and love saying everything's going to be all right. He is not that. He is the God-man. He is 100% God and 100% man. Preacher, explain that. Can't do it. Can't do it. Wouldn't even try. But I believe it. Bible says He is. He's 100% God and 100%. Preacher, that's 200%. No, it's not. Not with God. Not God's math. Not Jesus' math. He's 100% God and He's 100% man. He is the Savior and Redeemer of all the world. Whether or not the world accepts Him, whether or not the world invites Him into their heart, He is the Savior of every man, woman, and boy, and girl that has ever lived. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And without Him, there is nothing else. He is the resurrection and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by Jesus and Him alone. So many times He told the people that would listen, I am the door. Me. I am the door. I am the straight gate. I am the way and the truth and the life. Have we seen the transfigured Christ? Your life reflects it. Did you know that? Did you realize that? The life you live reflects whether or not you have seen the transfigured Christ. Richard, you're getting judgmental. Nope. No, I'm just telling you the facts. I'm just pointing out to you that your life will bear fruit. Not only will it bear fruit, there is a such thing in horticulture with a vine. It can bear fruit, but it not be good fruit. And it can also have disease. It can have blight. It can have spots. All you have to do is read your paper every time. You, every, once a week there's, there's some new bug, there's some new disease that's affecting the trees in East Tennessee. There's not a single species that isn't in danger of being eradicated according to scientists. Your life has blight on it. Your life can have wilt. Your life can have bugs attached to the vine if you're not living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. I'm not being a judge when I look and say, look, you you got some fungus right here that needs to be seen to and tended to. I can look at the leaves and there'll be holes in it and I know that's because bugs have chewed on it. To fix that, you need to visit with the transfigured Christ. You need the glory 
of the Son of the living God in your life. You need to get to the place that Peter, James, and John were and see no man but Jesus. Get beyond everything else. Every other worry, every other heartache, every other fear, every other want, need. Just give me Jesus. You give me Jesus and I don't care about anything else. We've got to get to that point. That's where we should be striving, Christian. Anything else, we're settling for less. Anything else, and we risk not making it into glory. You're setting the bar high, preacher. You've got to set the bar high. Because God set the bar high. He said, no sin will enter in. How do you translate that? I'm not the smartest human in the world. But the way I understand that is zero sin in your life. That's the way I understand. I can't understand it any other way than zero. Zero, nothing, nil, nada, zip. That if I have sin in my life when I die, I will go to hell. He doesn't care if I'm a pastor. He doesn't care if I'm an evangelist. He don't care how many children I have, how big my church is, how many people might have got saved under my teaching. If I have a sin in my life when I die, I won't get in. Is that a high standard? Of course it is. Because God is a high standard God, I wouldn't want to serve anything but a high standard God. So when I stand up here and say, you must have a knowledge and a relationship with the transfigured Christ, in all of His glory, yes, it's a high standard. But it's one we must strive for. Because anything else, it's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. We're not on the mountain that the three apostles were on. We're not on the Damascus road. But I do know where you can see the transfigured Christ. Right here. Right here. Look here. Teardrops. Teardrops on the altar. You can see the transfigured Christ. This is the mountaintop right here. This is the mountaintop. Preacher, last Sunday night you said it was the treasury in the temple. Where you put your two mites in. Yes. It is what it is. It is what God wants it to be. There's been times that that was the belly of the whale. There's been times that that right there was the foot of the cross. There's been times that this is the burning bush that Moses saw. It is what it is what God wants it to be. Right now at this moment, God has chosen that this is the mountaintop where you can see the transfigured Christ. You can see Jesus in all of His glory. If you want to. If you want to. He's not going to make you. He didn't drag Moses to the burning bush. He didn't reach down and yank Jonah out of the well. He didn't force the mother of our Savior and the other ladies and the disciple whom he loved to sit at the foot of the cross. 
They all did those things because they had a desire for them. Do we have a desire to see the transfigured Christ? That's the question. That's the question. Ladies, come to the piano. I want to ask everyone to stand, please. While the ladies play and you sing the song Sister Tanya's chosen, if you want to meet the transfigured Christ, if you want to go beyond just a profession of faith, if you want a life that is fully and completely and totally pleasing to God, I'm talking to the lost person here today. I'm talking to the backslidden person today. I'm talking to the Christian here today. If you want it, come get it. It's that simple. You can see the transfigured Jesus this morning. But you got to want it. You got to want it. You got to want it. As we sing, come. We hope that you've enjoyed our podcast presentation. If you would like more information about the church or any additional podcast, please join us on the web at www.reedtowncommunitychurchpodcast.blogspot.com. That's spelled R-E-I-D-T-O-W-N, communitychurchpodcast.blogspot.com. Thank you and God bless.